All right. Good morning, Journey family. My name is Pastor Paul, one of the pastors here at The Journey. We're going to be continuing this morning in our winter sermon series called We Are the Church. I think we're in part six of this series. For most of it, we're looking at the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, a book written, a letter written to a young church in the first century who were tempted to kind of check out of their faith journey when the going got tough. And this letter was written to them filled with exhortations and encouragements to keep going, to stay in the game. And there are many encouragements and commands throughout Hebrews that begin with the phrase, let us. And that is what we're looking at throughout this series, each week taking a different one of the let us and exhortations in the book of Hebrews. And today we come to one that was in the passage Carly just read for us from Hebrews chapter 10. Let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. All of these let us exhortations aren't just for the first century Hebrews, but for anyone who calls themselves the church today. These are all core to what it means to be the church, what it is that we do and are about together. And so core to what it means to be the church is to be a people who draw near to God. There are all kinds of goods and benefits that come from being part of the church place to belong, a place for community to make friends, a place to do good to others and in, in the community, a place to have inspiration, good music, a place to have good morals, to stay grounded, to pass on to our kids. All of these things are, are good benefits of the church, but all of them really, you could find someplace else. You could find any of, thing, of these things apart from the church, but Core to what it means to be the church is to be a place where we draw near to God, where we encounter God, have relationship with God. And it's in that, the thing that is uniquely found in the church that gives life. All of these other goods and benefits and activities we do at the church are infused with divine presence and divine power because it's in the church where we come to God and have relationship and access to him. So we are to draw near to God. Let us draw near. This verb in Hebrews 10.22, draw near, in the original Greek is the verb proserkamai, which is a, a pretty common verb in the New Testament. A lot of times it appears in the gospel narratives. It means literally to, to come up to, to approach, to, to come to, to draw near. A lot of times there's people in the Gospels who literally approach and come up to Jesus. That's the verb used. Like uh, uh, the man came up to Jesus and, and asked him a question. Or the woman approached Jesus and asked him to heal her. Or the crowds drew near to Jesus so that they could hear him and get close to him, understand what he was saying. All of these are the verb proserkamai, to approach and to get close to, to come near. It's a common verb in the book of Hebrews as well. In fact, it's the same verb in the passage Hannah spoke so powerfully about two weeks ago from Hebrews 4.16, which is translated for us, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace without fear and without shame. Well, this phrase that gets translated here, come boldly, is actually the same verb, proserkamai, that's found in our passage today. Let us draw near to God. So it's basically the same command in chapter 4 and in chapter 10 of Hebrews. And all in between, most of what comes in between 
chapter 4 and chapter 10 is some very complex theology that forms the basis for this command, the, the foundation for it. Let us draw near and come boldly to God. The chapters in between are a lot of complex theology, and they, they kind of culminate in the passage that we're looking at today. Carly already read it for us, but we'll look at it one more time, found in chapter 10 of Hebrews, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So this passage begins with the word, therefore, brothers and sisters, which means we've got to look back. What is, what is it therefore? It's the culmination, again, of chapters 5 through 10, all of this complex theological argument. And we get a, a taste of, of what it was about summarized here in this passage. All of these things, the most holy place, the blood, sprinkling, the curtain, great priests, high priests, all of this stuff is kind of what chapters 5 through 10 are all about. It all refers to the worship practices of the Hebrew people over many centuries and generations at the temple in Jerusalem. It's a lot of complicated stuff. Now, the audience here, since this was written to Hebrew people, would understand all of this. They, they would get it. It would make sense to them. A lot of them had probably experienced all of these elements to worship at some point, would have a mental picture from personal experience, um, be able to imagine what they're getting at. Now, for us, um, many centuries later, our, our context is different. Now, some of this can sound pretty foreign, uh, especially if you're new to the Bible. And if, even if you have, those of us who've read the whole Bible, we probably wouldn't rank the long descriptions of bloody sacrifice and priestly rituals as our favorite part of the scriptures. But it's all very important. Now, I'm not going to try to explain every bit of it this morning, but I want to make a few comments since it is the context and the whole flow of the argument in Hebrews that lead up to this call to draw near to God. All of this stuff, that there is a, a, whole, a most holy place, that was the part of the temple where God's presence especially dwelled, and people could not go in there. There was a curtain, a physical separation to mark the separation between us and God. There were high priests who served as mediators between God and humanity. There was blood, there was sacrifices, cleansing, and, and sprinkling the like, purification rituals, all this stuff. I want to make a, just a few general comments about all of it. It takes up a large part of, of the Bible and, and is the basis for our passage today. So the first thing I want to say is that all of this stuff, priests and sacrifice, temple and rituals, all of it ultimately points to Jesus. All of it ultimately points to Jesus. That's what the author was telling these Hebrew listeners, that everything they and their ancestors had known up to that point about worshiping God, all they'd experienced about worship, it all pointed to Jesus. He was the fulfillment. He was the ultimate, the pinnacle of it all. And for us, mostly non-Hebrew people, 2,000 years later, I would say this, that all of what is in Scripture, even the parts that may be especially foreign to us or hard to digest, they all point to Jesus. It all is there to help us to know Jesus better. 
Now, if you're new to the Bible and new to exploring faith, I would not recommend starting with the lengthy descriptions of the Old Testament sacrificial system. You should start with the Gospels, the best place to begin getting to know Jesus. But as you grow in faith, grow in loving God and understanding who he is, the whole of Scripture helps us to know him better and to love him better. Jesus didn't just appear out of nowhere into a vacuum. His life on earth and his death on the cross, it has a backstory. It has a context, has a culture. Jesus himself had a culture, and it wasn't one that was just chosen at random. And anything we can do to know him and understand him better, we, know, we just grow to love God and have more and more awe and understanding of Jesus. And that's how we really can know that we're getting it. Know that we're understanding the various parts of scripture is if they lead us to a deeper awe and appreciation and love for Jesus. It all ultimately points to him. The second thing I would say about all of these things from the Hebrew scriptures that the writer of Hebrews talks about is that all of it, the blood, the sacrifice, the temple, the priest, all of it is actually God's grace to people. All of it is God's grace to people. It can be easy for us to to look back at all of this and to think, oh, the Old Testament God is scary, unapproachable, that sort of thing. And then uh, along comes Jesus. But really, all of these things were God's grace to people. They were not God's way of keeping himself at a distance and making himself unapproachable. But the opposite, all of these things in the Old Testament were God's provision to allow people who had no business relating to him to somehow get close and to somehow know him and to somehow get near and be able to approach God. It goes all the way back, really, to the first humans in Genesis 3 when they rebel against God's commands. God comes to them, calls to them, makes garments to cover their shame, makes a way for them to still be able to relate to him. And the whole story of Scripture really is that of a people, a humanity that is continually rebellious and stubborn and wayward and lost and all of these things. God continues to make ways, make, provide a way for them to still be able to know him, to relate to him, to approach him in some way. All of this is actually God's grace, not to keep people at a distance, but to br- allow people to somehow get near to him who are totally unworthy and unfit to do so. All of it is grace. And really, if you look at the lived experience of people who worship in the Old Testament, people who come to the temple, who offer sacrifices, you look at their descriptions of it in the Psalms and other places, the tone of it is not, oh man, what a drag, but really, wow, we get to come to the house of God. What a privilege. How awesome is this? I get to bring an offering to the courts of God that we get to make a pilgrimage to get near to the house where he dwells. Better is one day in the courts of the Lord than a thousand days anywhere else. This is the tone. People who are saying, wow, I get to actually know God, relate to God in some way. They realize that it's grace to them. And the author of Hebrews now is saying to these people, guys, okay, if you thought all that was amazing, you thought all that was something, now in Jesus, we can get closer to God than you ever dared to imagine. If you're tempted to pull away now, to back out, no, not as, now is not the time. God has made a way to approach him. He's made himself more available to us than ever. Jesus is the sacrifice 
for all of our sins, past, present, and future. So there's no need for any further sacrifice of any kind. All of our sins are atoned for. We are free to approach God shamelessly without any obstacle or separation between us. Jesus is the priest, the high priest who represents God to us and us to God. There is no longer any need for any human mediator of any kind, but we can come directly to God as we are, wherever we are, whenever. There's no need for a temple any longer, a physical place to go to, to to worship God and encounter God, but anywhere his people are gathered, even on Zoom, anywhere the people of God are gathered, anywhere you are as a child of God, God is dwelling right there. Literally any place can be a place of encounter with God. Now, it's not like God was one way in the Old Testament and then suddenly changed his tune in Jesus. But all along, the whole flow of scripture has been God making a way for sinful, unworthy, broken, rebellious human beings to somehow have access to him. And through Jesus, it is the ultimate. He's taking care of it once and for all so that any of us who bear his name can approach God wherever, whenever, however we are. He is taking care of it for us. That is good news. That is the basis. So on on the basis of all that, we have this exhortation. So now, in light of everything Jesus has done, let us draw near to God. Now, if we just heard that command by itself, let us draw near to God, our old human religious instincts might kick in. We'd think, oh, maybe it's all on us. It's up to us. We've got to earn our way to God. We've got to somehow do a certain set of things in order to earn God's favor and earn God's love. But no. The basis of it is a God who has come near to us, who has moved heaven and earth to remove any obstacle between him and sinful humanity so that we can approach him wherever, whenever. But we do still have this exhortation. Let us, in light of all this, draw near to God. This is still a command, an exhortation to us. The gospel is all of what Jesus has done to come to us, to make a way for us. But there is a response then that's required for us to turn, to approach God, to say yes to this amazing offer of life in relationship with him. God does not force himself upon us against our will, but he makes a way and calls us to turn to him, to say yes, and to enter in to this relationship that he's made possible, to proserkamai, to draw near to God. He has made himself unbelievably accessible to us. But the question is, will we turn to him? Will we draw near? Will we come to him? Will we approach him? Because again, he doesn't force himself upon us, and God rarely competes loudly for our attention when we're giving it to other things. Dallas Willard has often said, grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. The grace of God displayed in Jesus is opposed to the idea that we could earn our way to God. We never could do that, and Jesus has done all that for us. But it's not opposed to effort. All all of Jesus' grace towards us does not mean that we then just sit around idle and passive and hope that God will just somehow magically zap us and transform our character and our habits and our thoughts without any willing cooperation on our part. We're told to draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Let us respond to his invitation. Let us turn our thoughts, turn our lives to him. 
One thing I would say is a major obstacle to this is our fear, our shame. Hannah tackled that so well two weeks ago. I'm just, I'm not, I don't have to say anything. Just go back, listen, two weeks ago. This passage talks about confidence and assurance we have to approach God. That is one, one obstacle to drawing near to God is our, our sense of fear and shame that we carry. And God has taken care of that. Today I want to focus on another major obstacle to our turning to God, drawing near to God, coming and approaching to God, is simply we're just not paying attention. God is right there, literally, anywhere we are. And often we are so unaware that he is. John Mark Comer in the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says, uh, in the chronic problem of human beings' felt experience of distance from God, God usually isn't the culprit. There is no place that God is not. No time he isn't present. Yet so many of us live without a sense of God's presence throughout the day. Now surely there are dark nights of the soul which are a real thing. But could it be, with a few exceptions, we're the ones who are absent, not God. We're oblivious to the God who is around us, with us, in us, and even more desirous than we are for a relationship. So true. There's no place God is not. Right there, desirous for relationship. But so often, there's so much noise in our lives, so much other things competing for our attention that we give our attention to. Our lives are filled with more noise than any humans have ever had in their lives. We have access to gobs more information than the human mind was ever designed to try to process. And then we have access to an endless stream of foolish commentary on all that information. And we've made ourselves so busy, run so ragged, all the things and the devices that were meant to be time-saving and give us all this space and quiet have had the opposite effect because it's given us the illusion that we can just do more and more and more. You know, the word multitask never even appeared in the English language until the 1960s. And even then, it was used to describe the activity of computers, not humans. And yet now, it's almost a badge of honor how much we can try to multitask. And again, God does not just force himself upon us and grab our attention when we're giving it to somewhere else. I have yet to have God just come into the room, grab my phone out of my hand and put it down, or stand in front of the TV, grab the remote and turn it off and say, hey, can we talk? We have to give our attention to God, draw near to him, come to him. We're not just hapless victims of all the noise and busyness and hurry around us. We can choose to turn it off. We can choose to redirect our attention, redirect our thoughts, even our feelings, our, our, our will toward him. And that's what we're invited to do in light of all Jesus has done to make a way to then draw near to God. And a large part of what that means is just simply give him our attention. Give him our attention. This doesn't mean to become a, a monk or a hermit or to not do anything anymore but to cultivate some practices that would help us to be attentive to God throughout the day. Practices of occasionally turning off the noise to practice listening, to practice silence, to practice focused attention on God. A couple of choices, I'll give you an example, things that I've been drawn to do of late. Uh, I, I realize I do have, I have a compulsion at least, if not an addiction, related to my phone. And the first step of, you know, is just admitting that. And I've realized that if I'm really going to have meaningful time in scripture and in prayer with God in the morning, which is something that's always been part of my walk with him, I can't have the phone anywhere near me. 
I've now made a commitment that I will not pick it up on a given day until I've spent time in scripture and in prayer. I used to try to do it with, you know, an, uh, a Bible reading plan on, on my app, but no, the thumb, it just starts scrolling and finding stuff. I can't even have it in the same room, and I don't. And I've, I have to tell you, I'm experiencing something akin to a personal revival in my morning quiet times. They have been so rich lately by way of this decision. A simple practice, but one that draws me so near to God. Another choice I've been making is to really unplug for a 24-hour period each week. I've often tried to practice a day of rest, a day of Sabbath throughout the week, and I'm learning it, it's not enough simply to just not work for a day, but I, I need to really unplug in order to draw near to God. It's just 24 hours out of a week. It's amazing how difficult it's proving to be. Now, the other six days, I'm on devices all the time, and I'm going to be. That's part of what it means to do ministry in the 21st century. But for one 24-hour period each week, unplugging, and I'm starting to really love it. I'm starting to experience change. I'm starting to actually have my habits and my thought patterns be more oriented and attuned to God throughout the other six days. These are the kinds of decisions, choices, willful things we do to participate with God in this relationship that he's making for us with him. It's a large part of what Lent is about, making choices, practices. Just try something on for a season, for a 40-day period, some kind of practice of deliberately turning attention from some things that grab it and turning it to God. One thing, I'll, just, I'll tell you what I'm committing to for Lent. I'm committed to quiet in the car. Anytime I drive, it's actually the rare space where I can have solitude uh, but I tend to fill the car with noise. I'm someone who likes to really rock out when I'm driving alone. If I'm by myself, you might pull up next to me if I'm singing, that sort of thing. Or I'll listen to a podcast because I think, well, I've got to make this time useful somehow. Multitask, right? Every now and then I turn all the noise off and I realize, oh my gosh, this is great. I can actually talk to God and listen to God in the car. It usually goes so great, but most of the time my default is turn on the noise. Well, for Lent, quiet in the car. What's your thing going to be? Take, a, take this opportunity, this season. It's going to be a rough season. Ahead. It's cold. It's dark. We're coming up on a year of COVID. But this could be an incredibly spiritually rich and fruitful season for you. But it takes us responding to all that God has done to make a way to know him, making choices. So let us draw near to God and let us turn our attention to God. And finally, one more thing I would say along these lines is let us not just talk about God as a church, but talk to God. Let us not just talk about God, but talk to God. Again, I'm as guilty as anyone. I, I've spent most of my ministry life in elite institutions of higher ed, really, really smart people, which is a great thing. But often I've, I've been in so many meetings where we, we troubleshoot and we talk about God and we share ideas and problem solve. And at the end, we thought, gosh, did we, even, did we even pray? Did we even bring this to the Lord? Did we listen for his voice and his direction? We got to be careful we don't just talk about God in church, but that we talk to God. We're to draw near to him. You know, pastors can be a pretty verbose group. You have three of them here at the journey. 
That's what we're trained to do, to talk about God. We take that call seriously because it's part of what we're, we're called to do. But let it never get in the way of you talking to God yourself. You bringing your life, your heart, your mind, your concerns to God. You opening up your life to his voice. Let's not just talk about him in our life groups, in our small groups, and whenever we're together, just as friends, as, as people who are the church, so often we can talk about all kinds of things, but gosh, do we ever just stop and talk to God together? Draw near to him? We have the most amazing access to divine presence and divine power. Let us draw near to God. I also want to make a quick plug in a month, February, or March, rather, 13th on a Saturday, we're going to have a day of fasting and prayer as a church to draw near to God. It'll be a one-year anniversary since we first kind of shut down public worship in response to COVID, a year. And man, do we have all kinds of thoughts about that, I'm sure, about all the things from this past year. So many opinions, so many thoughts, so many questions looking forward, but gosh, could we just really draw near to God in the midst of all that? Not just mull things over or talk things over, but pray things over and seek God together as his church. That's what it means to be his church, to be a people who draw near to God. I want to close. uh, Well, it's time for me to stop talking about God. I want to close by letting you hear the words of Jesus himself. We can encourage and exhort one another. Let us draw near to God, but hear these words of Jesus himself. This invitation comes from him, from Matthew 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Any of you weary, carrying heavy burdens of any kind? Don't just try to talk, talk them through or think them through. Bring them to Jesus. I'll close with the words of an old classic hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials or temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our troubles bear. Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Amen.